Hello, Vitality Radio listeners. We just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode discusses mental health, suicide, death thoughts, depression, and addiction, which may be triggering for individuals. Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host. My name's Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on this episode of Vitality Radio. I am. How do I put it? Vitality Radio is this kind of passion project for me. I love doing it, I look forward to it all week. I usually put off the preparation until Friday night sometimes late. Uh, okay, who, who am I kidding? Always late. And uh, I don't know why. I think the biggest thing is, after 10 years of doing this show, I still am a little hesitant that I might get it wrong, that I might not get the right information out there, I might not say it correctly, so I want to massage everything and you know, all that kind of stuff. And tonight is uh, no different. I'm recording on Friday night. But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes the passion that I have for some shows is a little higher than for others. Uh, sometimes there's personal meaning, like last week when I talked about the passing of my Uncle Billy. Uh, sometimes it's uh, personal Today, I'm going to talk about a dear friend and her experience with depression. But sometimes it's just pure ranty angst. You know, it's like, I got to get this off my chest. It's driving me nuts. And then sometimes it's joy because I find something that I can rant about, that I have ranted about before, but now I've got stronger, more scientific, concrete evidence as to what I've been talking about. And I kind of love that. So we're going to do that today during the morning rant. The rant will take up probably the bulk of the show, but uh, as I've been promising for the last couple weeks, I will be talking about candida. So don't worry, it's coming. That's going to be what we're going to close the show with today on Vitality Radio. I've got a great story for you today before I get rolling. Uh, Somebody came in today, a regular customer of ours. uh, He didn't uh, say I could use his name on the radio, so I won't. But um, hopefully he's listening and and will hear this because I think it's going to help some other people in the audience. Really nice guy. Last time I talked to him, I'm going to say three, four weeks ago maybe, I asked him, like I do with most of my customers, hey, let me know how that goes, you know, whatever recommendation I made, how you like it, what's working, what's not working, so that I can, you know, make better recommendations in the future, that kind of thing. And so I heard him out there talking to my son, Bridger, uh, this morning, and he said, hey, is uh, Jared around? And I just want to give him an update. So I walked out there and uh, he, you know, was holding a bottle of a product called NO Cardio Boost. Well, you know, Cardio Boost is one of my favorite products. You've maybe heard me talk about it before. I take it myself every day. Uh, it's designed to increase the elasticity of the arterial system and uh, help with uh, things like blood pressure uh, regulation and uh, balance. And also, there's some good clinical evidence that it probably also helps with the prevention of some long-term issues uh, having to do with your heart. I love the product, absolutely. And I love it when people come in to Vitality and they say, hey, I've got this condition that I've talked to my doctor and he recommended a pharmaceutical, but I would like to try an alternative first before I get on the pharmaceutical. Now, it's not my position as the guy on the radio or the guy at the health food store to uh, go against any doctor's advice, 
But if a client walks in and says, hey, I want to try a natural alternative, I'm absolutely willing to you know, help him figure that out. And so that's what we did. He was concerned about his blood pressure uh, kind of creeping up, numbers getting kind of high, but he didn't like the idea of being on a pharmaceutical. He had talked to his doctor and his doctor said, that's probably something you'll be on for the rest of your life. He didn't like that idea. So he asked me you know, what was going on. And I said, well, let's start with where we always start with these kind of things and figure out what might be missing from your body that could create an imbalance uh, that might end up as blood pressure. And so we talked about magnesium and talked about the importance of magnesium, trace minerals, how magnesium helped to relax the muscle tissue. Of course, the heart being a muscle, that's a big plus. Magnesium helps to counter excess calcium and excess calcium can lead to arthrosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. In many cases, magnesium helps to balance that out. So we talked about that, and then we talked about nitric oxide. Nitric oxide being the gas that explodes inside the arterial system when these certain amino acids, L-arginine and citrulline, hit the endothelial wall of the artery, they form a gas. And this gas puts pressure against the arteries and the veins, which is good in uh, you know reasonable quantities, and that makes a big difference when it comes to blood flow all over the body. The great news is he decided to do those two things. Uh, Phil is magnesium, likely magnesium deficiency, because I didn't know if he had one, but the studies show that about 82% of us in America do, so it's a pretty safe guess that he's probably one of them. Then get that nitric oxide going, and guess what? He comes back in, he's on his second bottle, picking up his third, and it's working absolutely great. Uh, everything's going well with his blood pressure, and he is feeling good. And the thing I loved about what he said, I just love how he said it, and that's why I wanted to share this with you. He said to me, you know, the other thing I love about this approach, this natural approach and doing the alternative route, is that I love the positive side effects of what you've recommended for me as opposed to the potential negatives with the pharmaceuticals. So awesome news. Congratulations. Glad it's working for you. Okay, so I have a lot to talk about today. And because of that, I'm going to get rolling right away with the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Antidepressants and violence. That's what the morning rant is about. What are the statistics really? Let me preface this a little bit. You know, I don't want to get all political here in the typical nature of politics when it comes to gun violence. Because what is it? It's the NRA saying, Second Amendment, we need our guns. It's the left wing uh, mostly saying, we need stricter laws about guns. Anytime somebody bursts into a theater and guns down a bunch of innocent people or a school or whatever else, we have the same conversation. Occasionally you'll hear a little bit about mental health. Well, you know, we need to find out what the mental state of this individual was or whatever. But I've been saying for years, and I believe that I was right, and there was quite a bit of evidence already to back this up that maybe gun violence was a little bit more to it than that. Now, first off, as far as guns go, even those who are opposed to guns, which I am not one, uh, but those who are opposed to guns, they will have to admit that the gun didn't commit the crime. What the biggest concern is, is that the gun allows the crime to be committed probably more efficiently than, you know, a knife or a rope or uh, some other lesser you know, vehicle to commit that crime. And I get that. And I think the right side, I guess you could say the right wing or the, uh, you know, NRA peeps or whatever, they're going to say the same thing or recognize that, but they still don't want to restrict our rights. And me being a born and bred libertarian type uh, fellow, I don't like to restrict our rights either. So 
that's neither here nor there. The question is, if it isn't the gun's fault, whose fault is it? Well, we have to look at personal responsibility. The person actually pulling the trigger is important here. But what is the state of mind of someone who rushes into a school and guns down a bunch of his classmates? Or into a crowded theater and starts shooting? Or whatever the case may be. It's not normal, right? I mean, you know, most crimes, most, most murders are, you know, there's crimes of passion that we could consider maybe a little more normal, you know, not premeditated. Uh, maybe it's a crime committed uh, while committing another crime, like robbery or something like that. But these mass shootings, are they're spooky. They're spooky as, as hell because we have this thing where we don't understand the average Joe citizen, what the heck got into these people's minds that would have them do such a heinous thing, right? And I have a suggestion that I've brought forth many times in the past. I think it may have a lot to do with what's actually literally being put into their minds through pharmacy. Now, I want to do a preface preface because this is important. I have very, very close friends, people who are near and dear to my heart, and plenty of clients at Vitality Nutrition who are on prescription drugs for depression and anxiety. In my personal view, I'm going to avoid those things at all costs. If there's ever a you know, clinical need, I'm going to look at every alternative for me or my family. But a lot of people have looked at alternatives. A lot of people have tried different things and not had success and feel like they've gotten results with pharmaceuticals. A client of mine who I respect and care about very much and who really has become a friend over the last five, six years that I've known her, she posted something on the internet about uh, shaming, drug shaming uh, for uh, antidepressant drugs and things like that. People feeling ashamed of being on something like that. So I want to preface this whole thing with three things that I think are important. First, there is no shame in struggling with depression or anxiety or choosing to use a drug to try and treat it. And I honestly and genuinely believe that. Second, I'm not asking you to get off of one of these drugs if you're on one, especially if you believe it's helping you. It's not my place to do that anyway. And third, I'm not pointing the finger at the individual taking the medication I'm pointing the finger at modern medicine and especially modern psychiatry far more than I'm pointing it at modern patients. So as I talk about this, I understand it's a sensitive subject. My goal on Vitality Radio every single week is to expose you to information that you may not be getting otherwise. And in this case, to expose you to information that is hiding in plain sight. And what I mean by that is, through this entire rant, I'm going to be referencing medical journals and mass media. Nothing having to do with the alternative side of health and nutrition and medicine. All of this is coming from places like the LA Times, the British Medical Journal, and PubMed, and so on and so forth. So that's where all this information is coming from. It's important stuff. All right, so I'm going to read a couple of headlines these headlines are from the British Medical Journal, bmj.org. Antidepressants and murder, case not closed. Antidepressants increase the risk of suicide, violence, and homicide at all ages. Now first let's talk about how many people are on these types of drugs. And we're mostly talking about SSRIs now, uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but there are others in different classes that some of this will cover as well. But it basically boils down to, in America, one in every eight people over the age of 12 years old. One in every eight of us is on one of these drugs. To me, that's alarming and it's terrifying when you think of the potential for side effects that are associated with this. And then, of course, when you think about depression and the miserable state that that puts people in, whether it's bipolar or unipolar, depression and anxiety, we can all agree, pretty horrible stuff to deal with. But for one in eight Americans over 12 to be on these drugs is an alarming statistic. And of that one in eight, one quarter, so about one in every 32 people in America 
have been on these types of drugs for at least 10 years. All right, so what do the statistics say? The idea that antidepressants cause violent behavior has been a concern for years. A study published late last year, though, in Sweden, and that was actually 2017, so two years ago, found convincing evidence that this concern is warranted. The evidence showed that young adults from age 15 to 24 years old who were currently on an antidepressant drug were more likely to be convicted of the following crimes. Homicide, assault, robbery, arson, kidnapping, sexual offense, or other violent crimes. Now, I want to clarify something here because I think it's really important. I was talking to Josh, who works with me here at Vitality, earlier today, and I made this statement to him. It's often been a slippery slope trying to argue that antidepressants might cause more suicides than they prevent. Because it's really hard to tell what state of mind someone's in when they choose to take that step. And we don't know if the antidepressant that they're on is playing a role in it, or if they would have been just as likely or even more likely to commit suicide had they not been medicated. We simply don't know. But this gives us a different way of looking at it, because you'll notice that I just read seven pretty serious, aggressive, violent-type behaviors that have nothing to do with suicide, and that I believe don't have a whole lot to do with depression. Homicide, assault, robbery, arson, kidnapping, sexual offense, and other violent crimes. Those are big deals. So let's talk about these drugs. SSRIs. That includes Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Celexa, Lexapro, Lovox, and so on. In an article in Psychology Today, Leonard J. Davis says, these very drugs we hope can treat mental illness are at the same time drugs that cause violent behavior, including suicide and aggression towards others. In fact, SSRIs are the leading drugs in a recent list compiled of the top 10 drugs that cause violent behavior. Let's look at those top 10 drugs. This was actually put together by Time Magazine. Okay. An antidepressant called desvenlafaxin, uh, Prestique is the brand name, is number 10 on the list. It is 7.9 times more likely to be associated with violence than other drugs. How about Effexor? That is a psychiatric drug used to treat anxiety disorders. 8.3 times more likely to be associated with violence than other drugs. Lovox, 8.4 times more likely. Halcyon, which is a benzodiazepine drug that can be very addictive and is used for insomnia, 8.7 times more likely to be linked to violence than other drugs. Stratera, used for ADHD, 9 times more likely to be linked to violence compared to other drugs. There is a malaria drug called Larium that uh, reports bizarre behaviors and is 9.5 times more likely. Um, Amphetamines, mostly treat, used to treat ADHD, 9.6 times more likely. Paxil is 10.3 times more likely uh, to be linked to violence compared to other drugs. It's also additionally associated with more severe withdrawal symptoms and a much higher increased risk of birth defects compared to other medications in this class. Prozac is number two and that is 10.9 times more likely to be linked with violence than other drugs. And then the winner, Chantix, if you've seen the commercials for Chantix for smoking, uh, smoking cessation to help with that, 18 times more likely to be linked to violence compared to other drugs. So almost the entire top 10 are drugs that specifically impact the brain, that work as, as psychiatric drugs, we'll say, with the exception of the malaria drug. So that's a pretty big deal, right? Because again, we're talking about violence, not suicide necessarily, although suicide is lumped into the, that mix, violence. On average, they're eight, nine, 10 times more likely to be linked to violence than other drugs. The FDA admitted in 2007 that SSRIs can cause madness at all ages and that the drugs are very dangerous. 
Otherwise, daily monitoring wouldn't be needed. The FDA says families and caregivers of patients should be advised to look for the emergence of such symptoms on a day-to-day basis since changes may be abrupt. All patients being treated with antidepressants for any indication should be monitored appropriately and observed closely for clinical worsening, suicidality, and unusual changes in behavior, especially during the initial few months of a course of drug therapy. The initial few months or at times of dose changes, either increases or decreases. The following symptoms, anxiety, agitation, panic attacks, insomnia, irritability, hostility, aggressiveness, impulsivity, hypomania, and mania have been reported in adult and pediatric patients being treated with antidepressants. That's according to the FDA. Such daily monitoring, it's recommended, is however a fake fix. People cannot be monitored every minute and many have committed SSRI-induced suicide or homicide within a few hours after everyone thought they were perfectly okay. A perfect example of that, Chris Cornell, I brought him up before, the lead singer from Soundgarden and Audio Slave. He talked to his wife and kids after a concert, was in good spirits, said, hey, I'm real tired, I'm going to take some pills and I'm going to go to sleep. He took Ativan, a benzodiazepine, too much of it later was found hung in the bathroom as a suicide. And the medical examiner said, well, it had nothing to do with the drug. How can he say that? It's ridiculous. So we know that there are problems associated with these drugs, but we're going to go into a little bit of depth here in what the actual numbers are. Because just throwing out numbers that are kind of random like that, well, you're nine times more likely. Well, okay, what does that really mean in real life, in real terms? Let's talk about it. Let's see. Published trial literature related to suicidality and aggression antidepressants is unreliable. So, a study looked at 64,000 pages of clinical study reports. That's over 70 different trials. They got from the European Medicines Agency. Showed for the first time that SSRIs, in comparison with placebo, increase aggression in children and adolescents. The odds ratio is 2.79. That means that about three times more likely on SSRIs, three times more likely than not on SSRIs. This is with depressed people, okay? Three times more likely on SSRIs than not to have violent behavior or ideology, including suicide and other aggressive behaviors. Three times. That's a big, big factor. Now that we've discussed the potential risks for these medicines, though, let's discuss how well they actually work for depression. Because in modern medicine, we have a couple of things that are constantly touted. Evidence-based medicine. And man, they'll throw that in faces of people like me all the time. Well, you sell herbs and, you know, snake oil for people. And that's not evidence-based medicine. This is evidence-based medicine. We have the evidence. We have the scientific studies. We have the placebo controls. Blah, 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 blah. Fine. So, evidence-based medicine. Let's talk about that. But then let's also talk about this. Because I think it's important. There are very critical numbers that are really important here that we're going to talk about. It's NNH and NNT, okay? The number needed to treat is the NNT. That means how many people you have to get the drug in order for one person to have a positive outcome. And this one, number needed to harm. How many people need to be treated with the drug for someone to have a bad outcome? So we're going to talk about that. But there's doubt to begin with in terms of the effectiveness of these drugs. And I think that's really important because we remember we have almost 13 million of us, about one in eight over the age of 12, that are on these type of drugs. So where does this doubt come from in terms of whether or not these actually work? Because that's important. I went through, uh, I, I did a couple of shows on this on Vitality Radio years ago. And I haven't really breached the topic since much. But I think it's important. In fact, I know it's extremely important. But even back then, in 2010, there was an article that was produced in Newsweek. And it's about a 13-page article where they go through all the evidence that maybe these things don't even work better than a placebo. 
Now that does not necessarily mean they don't work. Placebos actually work in a high percentage of people for different things, and maybe SSRIs are just as effective, but there's plenty of evidence that they might not be more effective. Let's read on here. To a greater or lesser degree, all the factors below and more have combined to produce a situation where scientists are still not clear whether antidepressants actually work better than a placebo. Here are the four main factors that they cite, and this is in pharmaceutical industry um, article. I think that's important to note because we have to recognize that sometimes we're actually talking about, in fact, most of the time we're actually talking about the, the, the magazines, the websites, things like WebMD, the medical journals like the New England Journal of Medicine, the British Medical Journal, the Journal of American Medicine, JAMA, and so on. We're talking about these things and so the education, the information is out there. I said this stuff is hiding in plain sight. I think that's really important. So let's go on and see what this article says about that. It says, pharmaceutical companies are keen to market the drugs they have spent years designing and testing. Of course, you see ads for these drugs all the time. Doctors want to provide medication to those with a reduced quality of life. Of course, a, doctor, a patient comes into a doctor, says, hey, I don't feel good. This is what's going on. The doctor says, sounds like depression. Maybe the psychiatrist, which can be even much worse when it comes to drugs. Those guys push them more than anybody. And But a doctor is wanting to do what's best for his patient and hoping to provide a benefit by prescribing these drugs. Okay, how about number three on this list? Patients are keen to try anything that might improve their well-being. Of course they are, especially with things like depression. Nobody wants to feel depressed. So clearly there's a need and a desire for patients to feel better. So they're willing to try something that might help. And in many cases, that's an antidepressant. Depressant. And then this one, and this is a big one, and it's important. And it's why I have to scour a lot uh, to find things like this for you sometimes. Because while they are out there, there's so much more positive published studies in medical journals, obviously, because the people funding these studies are mostly pharmaceutical industry and they want to publish the positives. So we often have to wait for the meta-analysis afterwards of uh, 10 or 20 or 30 or 70 different studies showing what actually these studies said. So the latest analysis to form part of this ongoing battle comes from scientists at the Nordic Cochrane Center in Denmark. This time, the authors conclude that the current level of evidence in support of antidepressants is not sufficient to prove that they work better than a placebo. So if we aren't even sure how well they work, what do we think we know? So according to studies, and these are studies done by pharmaceutical companies, it looks like that NNT number, remember that's the number needed to treat, that NNT number uh, is about one in eight. So eight people are needed to be need to be treated for one person to get a positive result with an SSRI. Okay, that's not very good, right? But what about the NNH, the number needed to be treated in order for one to be harmed? Number needed to be harmed. Now. In this case, the study was specific to people having suicidal uh, ideations, violent reactions, or violent thoughts. And the number, to me, was staggering. It's only 16. So what does that number mean? That means for every 16 people being treated with a drug like this, one will have suicidal thoughts, or potentially commit suicide or try to commit suicide, violent thoughts or behaviors, one in 16. So when you put those two numbers together, if we have 16 people, two might benefit from the drug. And that's according to the drug company's own studies, over 70, 70 of them that were put together for this meta-analysis. Two might get a benefit one might have 
harm in the form of violence specifically. Now that leaves 13 other people that will receive no benefit from the drug, but will receive probably some of the minor, the more minor side effects. These are not good numbers. These are not good odds. This is not good stuff at all. And I think it's really, really important because that NNH, that number needed to be harmed, is scary. Okay, so remember how I started this rant because it's important. I have good friends, good clients that believe that these drugs are helping them. And I'm not one to say that they aren't. I don't know if they are or not. And some people cling to that because they want help with their depression, with their anxiety, and things like that. And one of the biggest challenges with this, and I think doctors would agree, is that when they put a patient on a drug like this and it seems to help, they leave them on it for an extended period of time. If the patient tries to get off of the drug thinking, well, maybe it's not working anymore, or maybe it never worked, or maybe I can try something else, that's when a lot of times some of the biggest side effects happen. And so it's hard to know if it's a drug withdrawal that's being created there, or if they're really that much worse off without the drug in the first place. So now it's time for me to tell you a personal story. And it's an important one to me because it's about one of the most important people in my life, one of my dearest, dearest friends. And she confided in me tonight, right before I recorded this episode, and she, off, she told me I could share her story. So we met about almost a year and a half ago now. And when we first met, you know, with me, I do what I do. Everybody knows what I do. And people that aren't maybe all that open to this whole natural and alternative way of doing things, <laughs> you know, it can, it can be, I don't know, maybe not intimidating, but they don't necessarily want to bring up their health stuff to me. And then other people are like, oh man, you know, tell me what you got. Because they think, oh, this guy, and you know, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe he can help me out. It's, I get all, all kinds of different responses and reactions. Well, the response and reaction here was interesting because one of the first conversations we had was about her bipolar uh, diagnosis and what she was doing to treat it. She was on two drugs, Lexapro and Lamectal, uh, for bipolar. And uh, she has a, a bipolar uh, child, uh, and she has struggled with this for what she says is most of her life. She's been on pharmaceuticals for it for over half of her life. And when I talked to her and was, you know, just got to know her a little bit better, I don't just jump right in with this. I said, you know, if you're ever interested in looking at things naturally that might help you with these things, I would love to talk to you about it. And we talked about deficiencies and we talked about the gut and things like that. And as we talked about the gut, I discovered that she got sick every time she ate. She had stomach pain, like fairly significant stomach pain every time she ate. Now, it hadn't been like that for long. It had been more sporadic. But by the time that we met, it was consistent. So she didn't know much about natural products. She'd never really used anything. I said, I think I can probably help you with that. I think you really need some digestive enzymes and some probiotics. And she said, well, you know, I'll try it. And I know, and she's told me this, she didn't believe it was going to work. But I think she was just humoring me. Maybe she hoped it would work. I don't think she thought it would. It did. How soon? The first time. The first time she took back on track my personal favorite product with the enzymes and the probiotics. It worked. It worked great. She's been using it ever since. So now probably 15 months or more, I'm guessing she's been on it with great success. And now she finds she doesn't need to use it every time she eats. Uh, only uh, foods that are a little more challenging for her. But she uses it most times anyway because she feels better when she does than when she doesn't. And not long after that, she confided in, with, in me about her chronic pain. Lots of it. Uh, she's got a shoulder and she's got a wrist issue and this kind of weird rib thing. And 
not very explainable by medicine. Doctors didn't really know what to do for, for any of that stuff. And for years, she was hooked on pain pills for this stuff. You know, the opiates, the bad stuff. And she hasn't been on those for years, almost a decade now, which is amazing. But she still struggles with the chronic pain. And so I said, you know, I can probably help you uh, with that. Let's, let's talk about that. And we ended up uh, looking at some deficiency things, the same as what I talked about with my, my good friend with the um, blood pressure concerns. So got her on magnesium. Uh, we got her on omega-3s to make sure that she was doing the things that would help to relax and calm the muscles, help with inflammation. Got her on Curamed turmeric, my favorite anti-inflammatory herb in the world. And the very favorite one version of it is called Curamed, and I absolutely love that stuff. And also on something called Just Thrive. We've talked about it all the time. Just Thrive, my very favorite probiotic. Now, you'll notice that she's on, at this point, about five different things. And then we added CBD, so six different things. That's a lot of stuff for her. She'd never done any of this natural stuff. So thank you for letting me do that for you. But she was willing because I think back on track convinced her that maybe I wasn't a loony anyway uh, after all and so she did it and I know this is a long story I'm going to cut to the chase here over a year on these things she started noticing that she felt better sooner than that but by the time we'd hit a year a lot of things were better she felt like she was less foggy she would tell me her brain was more she felt like she could kind of figure things out better in her brain, sort things out in her brain better. And she felt overall better, you know, less overall depression, less overall anxiety, better overall. And unbeknownst to me, she decided she was going to start weaning herself off of her antidepressant drugs, Lexapro and Lamictal. I didn't know she was doing it until she was almost fully off of Lexapro. And then she went after the Lamictal. Well, she's been off of both of them now for, I think, two months. I forgot to ask her to verify the timeline, but I think two months, maybe three. And she told me tonight when she found out what my topic was going to be, I need to tell you my story. I need to tell you how I really feel. She said, for the first time that I can remember, I feel like even though I have these fighting arguments inside my head still that is pretty typical with people with, that struggle with bipolar, that I can sort through them quicker. And the tools that my therapist has been giving me for years, I can actually utilize now. I don't feel numb. I feel like I can sort through this stuff and a lot of this stuff makes sense now. I feel far more capable, far more mentally able to handle the stress and the anxiety when they come and I'm not on these pharmaceuticals. And I still have bad days, she said. In fact, yesterday was one of them. I noticed when I saw her that she wasn't quite right. And I asked her about it. And she thanked me for noticing. And she said, I don't think there's anything you can do. I just need to kind of fight through it. And she did. By the end of the day, she felt better. She said that didn't used to be the case. She would stay in those places for much, much longer. And she can't believe that she's off of this stuff because when we met, she said she would be on those drugs for the rest of her life. She was convinced. She didn't think she had a way out. But this is the thing, and it's important. You don't ever have a Lexapro deficiency. There's no such thing as a need for Lamictal or Zoloft or Prozac. I'm not saying they can't play their part and they don't potentially have a role. And I'm absolutely not saying to you out there that's currently taking one or more of these drugs that you should jump off of them. For one thing, you never do the cold turkey thing either. anyway. Listen to the story that I just told you. And if you're interested in taking a new approach to see if you can really feel better, and if you want to get away from the potential side effects here, Listen to the story I told because I think it's important. She did the right thing for years. Well, for a year. And I believe what happened was this. CBD helped her to find nervous system balance because that's what it does. Just Thrive helped her to find gut balance.
because that's what it does and the gut-brain connection is real. Curamed, turmeric, helped her with her chronic inflammation and helped to nourish and build and strengthen the gut and the liver and the other places where Curamed works. Magnesium helped her to relax and calm down from a muscular place, actually calming the muscles, calming the nerves, allowing things to relax, helping her sleep better, helping her be in less pain with all of these different things and less overall inflammation. And because she could digest her food now without pain, she got more nutrition from her food. And yes, it took time. I don't know if it would have taken a year if she just didn't need it to be really safe when she finally decided she wanted to get off of this stuff. But she made that decision, not me. I had nothing to do with it. When she told me a year and a half ago, hey, I'm going to be on these. I'm going to be on these forever. I said, fine, let's take the natural approach, help your body fortify itself, and you can decide what you want to do. And she did, without my blessing. And now she feels better than she has in a long time. And she'll be the first one to tell you she's not, quote unquote, better, but she's better than she was. And I believe she will continue to go down that path towards better mental health by taking care of this amazing body that the good Lord gave her. So my goal here with this rant is twofold. I wanted to bring to your attention threefold. The dangers of these types of pharmaceuticals, especially for younger people who sometimes I think kind of willy-nilly end up on these things. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And it's a problem. We've already read about the people from 15 to 24 years old and the high rate of violence um, associated with these types of drugs. So before you decide to take the plunge on a drug like that, figure out what's missing first from your body. Look into therapy if you're not already doing it. Psychotherapy can be extremely useful if done correctly and it doesn't create suicidal thoughts. It doesn't create homicidal ideations. There are so many things that are so much safer that can potentially help you so much more than these pharmaceuticals. So that's thing one. Thing two, we don't even know how effective they are in the first place. Maybe not even better than a placebo. That's not me saying that. That's medical journal after medical journal. And three, there is hope. There is always hope and with mental illness, or mental health issues, sometimes it feels like there just ain't any. But there is. I know there is because I see it time and time again with people I work with feeling better upstairs, in the mind, in the brain, by taking care of their body, of their gut, of their liver, of the other things. My name is Jared St. Clair. We're going to get cut to a quick break. When we get back, we got about 10 minutes. We're going to talk about Candida. Finally, I've been promising that for a couple weeks now. You're listening to me, Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, 
or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Okay, welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. I'm your host every single week on this wonderful program. Thank you for listening. Okay, in the last few minutes that I have, I want to talk about candida. Candida is a yeast. It's a normal part of the human body. It's in there pretty much in all of us. And it actually even has some positive benefits if it's kept under control. But antibiotics, stress, illness, and a variety of other things, especially the overabundance of sugar that we feed ourselves, can get candy to the point where it is an overgrowth. That can show up as thrush on the tongue. It can show up in women as a vaginal yeast infection. But oftentimes it's more systemic, meaning it's kind of inside the body. You can't necessarily see it. And that's the kind of candida that I think is happening more often than not with a lot of people, especially if you find you are craving sugar and carbohydrates like crazy. If you're craving those things, if you if you have brain fog, if you're tired all the time, even when you get plenty of sleep, you have a hard time just connecting mentally or emotionally. Uh, Again, cravings, those types of things, candida may be the thing that's holding you back. Now, worst case scenario, if you want to take care of candida that you're not sure you have, that you're not sure you're dealing with, first off, ask yourself a couple of questions. Have you recently been on an antibiotic or have you done a lot of antibiotics throughout your life? And when I say a lot, I only mean four or five or more, not a ton, because antibiotics are far more devastating than we ever used to think they were especially if you were on antibiotics as a little kid. And then if you have any of those symptoms, if you're dealing with those things, you have a pretty good chance that candida might be kind of overrunning your system. And there are a couple of ways to take care of that. My favorite is what are called systemic enzymes. Systemic enzymes, uh, one specific one that I love called Candex, are amazing for this. You have to take it on an empty stomach. You have to take a couple capsules in the morning, at least 45 minutes to an hour before you eat, a couple capsules at night, at least a couple hours after you eat, because these are the same types of enzymes that would help you digest your food, but instead they're helping digest your candida. And by digesting your candida, what they do is they literally digest and break down the cell wall of the yeast, which allows the body to just flush it through. It essentially makes candida less sticky. Candida builds what's called a microfilm, and under a microscope, it looks like a spider web. It's very sticky and it covers a lot of ground and it grows. We need to get rid of that. And Candex chews up those cell walls, which prevents it from staying sticky, allows the body to flush it out, but without any what's called die-off. The yeast die-off is something you don't want to experience because you don't feel good when the yeast is dying inside of you. You can feel fluish, you can feel weak, tired, achy, all kinds of things like that. You don't have to feel that with Candex. My one-two punch for Candida that I absolutely love, and I was saying, worst case scenario, you're taking these enzymes that are going to help clean and detoxify your blood. They're really good for you, even if you don't have Candida. So there's like no downside to doing them. You do the Candex. It comes in a 10-day, a 20-day, or a 40-day supply, and you can come talk to us at Vitality, and we can help you decide what makes the most sense for you. But a lot of people start with just that 10-day supply, to get the ball rolling and see how they feel. And many people will feel a lot better just after 10 days. In many cases, sooner than that, I got a text message from one of my clients a few weeks ago, which is why I decided to do this topic on Vitality Radio saying, oh my gosh, this stuff really works. I feel like I'm in control of my eating again because I'm not craving the sugar like crazy like I used to. Isn't that awesome? So Candex and Just Thrive. Just Thrive builds it all back up. Candex knocks it all down. It's a really great combination, very safe, good for you in a hundred ways besides what's going on with the candida. I absolutely love it. If you're dealing with this, again, brain fog, fatigue, even when you've had plenty of sleep, an almost irresistible craving for carbs and sugars, not always sugars. In my case, it is sugar usually when that's happening with me, but for some people it's you know, uh, crackers and chips and nachos and things like that, regardless if it's carbohydrates, 
and you're craving them and it seems irresistible. Like the steering wheel feels like it's turning itself into the 7-Eleven to go get uh, a bag of chips or whatever it is. That's a problem. Any of those things are a really good indicator that you're probably dealing with candida in the system. And taking the systemic enzymes, they go in and they chew that stuff up, allow the body to flush it through so you can get rid of it once and for all. I'm not going into great scientific detail here on candida. I don't think I really need to. It's pretty basic. The other thing that you need to do is lay off the carbs and the sugar during that 10 days or 20 days or whatever you decide to do the candex. Quit feeding it because the reason you desire it so much is because you've got living organisms in there, this yeast or fungus that is screaming for sugar because that's how it grows. And it's literally talking to you saying, feed me more. And you unwillingly, unknowingly, a accomplice to this by pulling into that 7-Eleven and grabbing the bag of gummy bears or that soda. So you lay off the sugar for a while, even sugar from healthy sources like fruit, just for the short term, take the Candex and then do Just Thrive for about three months. I'm telling you, I'll throw that challenge out there. If you're feeling any of those things, you gotta try this. You might be shocked how much better you feel. And I'm shocked I haven't brought it up to you sooner. But anyway, that's what I do here on Vitality Radio. Try and bring something to your attention that you may not have known about. I hope felt the empathy that I have for people that struggle with mental health issues. It's a big deal. I hope I was sensitive enough talking about the topic of antidepressants. I don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. I just want to make sure that that side of the information is out there for you because I think it's important. Thank you so much for listening to me. I appreciate the time you give me every Saturday morning here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I hope that uh, we can help you with whatever you need. You've been listening to me, Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.